continue to worship, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. If you're using the pew Bible or the chair Bible in front of you, it's found on 726. As we continue to worship, we are going to see God's outrageous mercy to us through this prophet Jonah and the commission that God gave to him for the people of Nineveh. And as you turn there to Jonah chapter 1, we will focus in on verses 1 through 3. Let us go to the Lord one more time in a word of prayer as we declare our dependency on Him in all things, especially this morning as we desire for our hearts to be transformed according to His Word. Let us pray together. Father, what a glorious thing it is this morning that even as we learn through the life of the prophet Jonah that you certainly hold us fast. That even in the midst of our darkest hour and our most outrageous rebellion, Father, you are still close at hand. Father, you are there to pick us up. You are there to even bring a fish to swallow us up in order that we might come to our senses in order that we might return our affections to a holy and righteous God. Father, we learn of the great extent of your mercy to this prophet Jonah, to the people of Nineveh, and even to us this morning. And so, Father, would you use this time as we gather to worship you in order to impress upon us the great length and breadth and depth and height of your love for those who call upon you. We're so thankful for it this morning, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Have you noticed how outrageous the book of Jonah is? Now, I'm not talking about large man-swallowing fish or plants that spring up in an instant and die out just the same. I am speaking about the outrageous mercy of the Lord Himself toward those who are diametrically opposed to His good and gracious will. And we find this opposition from every corner of the earth. It isn't reserved only for pagan nations or forgotten tribes. As we see from Jonah, it is found right underneath our noses, even in our own hearts. The reason why Jonah is such a great book is because it tells us of the great character of the God whom we serve. God is, hear that beloved this morning, God is a merciful God who extends His sustaining love even to those who are the vilest in all of creation. Moreover, He does this through the proclamation of His Word. His declaration of what is good is the means by which God stops sinners in their tracks and brings them to repentance and faith. 
As we continue to kind of set the stage this morning for this book, The Life of the Prophet Jonah, we find two things at the very outset that Jonah is sure to make us aware of. The first thing, if you're following along in your bulletin insert this morning, the first thing we see here is that the mercy of God is demonstrated in a very clear command. The mercy of God is demonstrated in a very clear command. Notice it with me in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise! Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Last time we were together, we talked about how the book of Jonah could be called the book of God's mercy. We see God's mercy to Nineveh. We see God's mercy to the prophet Jonah. And we see God's mercy to us by preserving this story of rebellion and obstinance in this stubborn prophet. And what we see is that God's mercy here in the first few verses is issued forth in a very clear command to Jonah. He says in verse 2, Arise, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. The command of God to Jonah the prophet consists of three things. Arise, go to Nineveh, and call out against it. And you can begin to see how God's command to Jonah sounds very similar to another command that God has given to His people, even the Great Commission. Go, make disciples, teaching them all that I have commanded you. Certainly, this is no mistake. God's heart has always been for the nations. And He demonstrates this throughout the book of Jonah. And he also demonstrates it in the church, in the New Testament, as he calls each one of us and issues forth a very clear command. Go, make disciples, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And what we notice from this prophet, the prophet Jonah, is that the reason God calls Jonah to this ministry is because he is full of compassion and mercy for the Ninevites. You notice the motivation for God initiating this great campaign for Jonah at the end of verse 2. Notice it with me at the end of verse 2. He says, I am sending you to Nineveh because their evil has come up before me. God saw the evil of the Ninevites and decided to do something about it. He decided to send his prophet 
to call them out of their wicked ways. This command of the Lord to Jonah for the Ninevite people is sourced in God's good mercy and grace for those who are walking in darkness. Again, you see the similarities. We see this motivation again in the very last verse of the book of Jonah where we see the summary of God's purpose in this book in Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. Sure, it might be on the next page for you. Jonah chapter 4, verse 11 says this, And should not I pity or have compassion for Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. What we find here in this book is a great mass of people who had no moral integrity and no moral compass. As he puts it in this book, they did not know their right hand from their left. These are a great people, that is great in number, with a great iniquity, who catch the attention of a great God who is not content to leave them in their sin and destruction. And beloved, trust me when I say that the Lord also is not content with leaving our loved ones and our neighbors and our co-workers in their sin and destruction. And so God exercises His mercy through Jonah and through us by sending a word, a word from Jonah to the people of Nineveh in order to call them out of their evil ways. You see, the mercy of God always assumes the ill desert of the object of its mercy. That is to say that the nature of mercy is extended always towards those who do not deserve it. Rather, they deserve the exact opposite. This is the case of the people of Nineveh. They deserved God's judgment. And instead, God sends a prophet, the prophet Jonah, to call them to repentance and belief. And as we will see through the rest of the book, God does that very thing. God here demonstrates His love and mercy to a people who do not deserve that love and mercy. You see, it's why at the heart of God's character is His slowness to anger, which we will see in this book, His steadfast love, and His forgiveness. We notice this in Exodus chapter 34, verse 5 through 7. It says this, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with them there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, that is, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger 
and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Beloved, all of these attributes of God assume that the objects of His love and affection are necessarily given over to things that should provoke God's anger. And therefore, they are in desperate need of His infinite and self-determining love and abundant forgiveness. May I say it again, God is a God of mercy. H. Strong in his systematic theology defines God's mercy like this. He says, mercy is that eternal principle, and I'm sure you can find this on the bulletin insert. Mercy is that eternal principle of God's nature which leads him to seek the temporal good and eternal salvation of those who have opposed themselves to his will, even at the cost of infinite self-sacrifice. And beloved, the ultimate demonstration of God's love and mercy is the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sin. We see this in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. It says this, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. You see, beloved, God, the One who created the heavens and the earth, and set Adam and Eve in that blessed garden to enjoy His eternal blessings, is the one who extends His love and blessings to those who do not deserve it. In fact, they deserve the exact opposite. It's why the love of God in John's statement in John 3.16 is so radical. Turn with me, if you would, over to John chapter 3, verse 16. In order that we might see how God and to whom God extends the offer of salvation in His Son. It's found on page 835 in the chair Bible if you are using one of those. God says through the Apostle John this in verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, which the world already was condemned, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Verse 18, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. 
the very place where God demonstrates His love by sending His Son, the light has come into the world, and the people of that world loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the, the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see, beloved, the reason why John 3.16 and the love and mercy of God is so extraordinary is not necessarily because God extends it to so big a thing, but because he extends it to so bad a thing. Those who belong to the world hate God. They are enemies of God. They are opposed to God. And yet, God demonstrates His love for those very people by sending His Son in order that He might take up that very condemnation and judgment for them. That is the message of God's grace throughout the entire Bible. We see it here in Jonah. The extension of God's grace to the Ninevites should not have surprised the prophet Jonah because he had extended it to Israel a time or two before. And the message of God's grace and mercy is an ongoing theme throughout the biblical narrative. Be reminded, beloved, of this truth this morning. May it motivate you to embrace the love of God for you and extend that grace and mercy to those around you. You see, beloved, because we are not much different than Nineveh. We are not much different than Jonah. We are all in need of God's mercy and grace Every single day. We sang it this morning. Lord, we need you. We are just as much in need of a word from God to stop us from our headlong dive into destruction. We are just as much in need of a clear command from the Lord to turn from our destructive ways and to turn to the Lord. You see, too often we find ourselves turning from the Lord to more convenient and socially acceptable ways of doing things. Too often we find ourselves running from a clear command from the Lord as we interact with our children and our wives, and our husbands, and our neighbors, and our co-workers, and even our friends. Too often we, fathers, respond to our kids with a harsh word when the Lord clearly commands. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Too often kids respond to their parents with a defiant spirit when the Lord clearly commands 
Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Too often wives disrespect their husbands with a demeaning word when the Lord clearly commands. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, let the wife see that she respect her husband. Too often husbands are tempted to take advantage of their wives when the Lord clearly commands husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Beloved, too often we trample over our neighbors to accomplish our own ambitions when the Lord clearly commands that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Too often we shy away from declaring the Lord's glory in any given situation, even though the Lord has clearly commanded in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And above all, brothers and sisters, all too often we find our hope and our happiness our significance, and our security in some created thing. When the Lord has clearly commanded that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and you shall have no other God before me. You see, beloved, we are not much different from the Ninevites or from Jonah. We are in much need of God's grace every day, even as they were. May we not shy away from confessing our own sins, which is rightful and just in light of who we are and who God is. May we not shy away from confessing our own sins before the Lord and crying out to Him in mercy to extend His power and His grace and His might into our lives so that we might live for Him and by Him. What Jonah received from the Lord was a clear command motivated by the mercy of God to save the Ninevites. But Jonah was far more interested in saving himself and his own reputation than he was in radical obedience to the Lord. This is the second thing we see here in these first three verses. Not only do we see the great mercy of God demonstrated in a very clear command, but we also see the obstinacy of Jonah and a fortunate providence. The obstinacy of Jonah and a fortunate providence. Notice it in Jonah chapter 1 verse 3. It says this, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish away. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now at first glance, we might determine that Jonah is going to follow the Lord in obedience. 
Notice the comparison that Jonah himself makes here. Jonah chapter 1 verse 2 says, Arise, go to Nineveh. And verse 3 starts out with, And Jonah rose. It would seem, if we didn't have the rest of the story, that Jonah may be doing what the Lord is calling him to do. But Jonah does the exact opposite. Notice with me that Jonah doesn't rise to obey the Lord. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Now in order for us to understand the extent of Jonah's rebellion and obstinacy, we need to know a little bit about the city Tarshish, especially where it is located. I've provided a few maps for you in your bulletin insert if you'd like to refer to them. But what we notice on these maps is Jonah's intended path to go to Tarshish and where God had originally called him to go. Notice it in the bulletin insert in your bulletin, the great span between Tarshish over here on the left and Nineveh over here on the right. One commentary says this about the event, God commissioned the prophet to carry a divine message to the people of Nineveh, but Jonah decided differently. Instead of traveling approximately 500 miles northeast of Palestine to Nineveh, Jonah went to Joppa, the nearest seaport. There he took a ship for Tarshish, probably a Phoenician port in Spain, some 2,000 miles due west. He was supposed to go east. He decided to go west instead of obeying the Lord's command. But not only does he flee to the west, he goes about as far west as you possibly could in these days. He is intending, if you notice on the map, to sail all the way to the other side of the Mediterranean Sea. As far as Jonah is concerned, he is going to the opposite ends of the earth. The Lord tells Jonah to go east into Nineveh, but instead Jonah goes west to Tarshish. He tells him to go up, but instead Jonah goes down to Joppa. He tells him to go and proclaim a message of grace to a bordering nation. Instead, he goes to a place that wouldn't have had much connection to Israel at all. Colin Smith said in his comments at this point that Jonah here is essentially resigning from his prophetic ministry and retiring to Spain. Jonah wants nothing to do with this call from the Lord. And this is indicated by Jonah's repeated phrase that we find throughout verse 3. Notice that Jonah is attempting to Flee from the presence of the Lord. Notice it again with me in Jonah chapter 1 verse 3. It said, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence 
of the Lord. Jonah himself repeats his intentions here twice. Now this is an interesting statement because Jonah is certainly a prophet of the Lord. And so he would have been well acquainted with the scripture and knowing that he could not escape the physical presence of the Lord. Even if Jonah was to go to the other side of the world, God would still be there. He would have been well aware of Psalm 139 verse 5 that says, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I can't attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I sail to Tarshish across the Mediterranean, you are there. Nowhere that Jonah could go would escape the eye of the Lord. And so that's not what Jonah means here at all. What Jonah is alluding to is not that he will escape the presence, that is, the physical presence of the Lord, but that he is leaving the place of blessing that's found in obedience to the Lord's command. What Jonah is fleeing from here is fellowship with the covenant Lord as he fulfills that which the Lord has called him to do. We find this phrase used also of Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verse 16, where it says, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Again, it's not as if Cain escaped the sovereign watch of the creator of the universe. No, instead, because of Cain's disobedience, the Lord removed him from a place of blessing, a place of intimate fellowship with the creator and sovereign sustainer of the world. But beloved, what I love about this passage, what I love about this passage is that although Jonah decides here to leave the presence of the Lord, the Lord will not leave the presence of of Jonah. What we learn in this story about this stubborn prophet is that God is a God who is merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. What we learn here is that Jonah is blind to this truth in his own life, but God is about to impress it upon his heart. Notice that Jonah goes down to Joppa and finds exactly what he is looking for. He finds a boat to Tarshish. Look at it again, Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. 
Now in this time, it would have not been every day of the week that you would have found a boat sailing to the other side of the world. But here it is, a boat waiting for Jonah. Is this a coincidence? Of course not. Jonah's desire to sail to Tarshish and the vessel that will take him there quickly become the instrument of God's mercy and loving discipline to this obstinate and stubborn prophet. Sinclair Ferguson in his book Man Overboard says this, and you can find the quote in the bulletin insert. It says, The ship lying in Joppa Harbor was not meant to be a means of escape from God's clearly revealed word, but the most terrible instrument in the hand of God to bring his servant back to his senses. What we see here is a fortunate providence. Not because this is going to be an easy journey for Jonah, but because the Lord is going to use this vessel to turn Jonah's heart back to himself. And beloved, we can believe and trust the very same thing. God ordains our very hardships in order to turn our hearts back to Himself. God is using your hardships to draw you ever closer to Himself. Don't miss that in this story. And as much as a ship on the open sea is tossed to and fro, up and down, back and forth, God's journey with Jonah is going to be long and tumultuous. But beloved, we any difference? Sometimes our own stubbornness can be found in our own hearts and the Lord often uses our circumstances, although we may not trust our circumstances, the Lord uses them to draw us ever closer to Himself. And that's what we see here in the book of Jonah. God is faithful to Jonah. God is faithful to us. God held Jonah fast. Even when his faith had failed, God held Jonah fast. And beloved, God will hold us fast. Even when our faith may fail, God will hold us fast. The hero in the book of Jonah is not the prophets. The hero in the book of Jonah is God Himself who demonstrates mercy and grace to those who deserve the exact opposite. Let us pray together. Father, what a glorious thing it is for us to be able to gather this morning and to consider the life of this prophet. Father, would you impress it upon our hearts? Father, even as we are here this morning, may we understand that nothing is outside of your providential hand and that you are working all things according to your good and gracious will. Father, this morning you are ordaining for each one of us our own path 
with its trials, with its ups and its downs. And Lord, you are intending to use all of those things to draw us closer to you. And so, Father, if there might be someone here this morning who is walking distant from you, Father, would you, because of your grace and mercy, would you send your Spirit to renew and refresh their hearts that they might see in a new way their disobedience to you, that they might see in a new way their offense to a holy and righteous God, that they might see even for the first time or the thousandth time that Jesus Christ is enough, that Jesus is in the storm, and that Jesus will hold us fast. What a glorious truth that is this morning. Would you impress it upon us? And we pray this in your name.